few weeks ago, we bought a new puppy. Her name is Cora. She's a golden retriever puppy. And uh, she's just gotten to the stage now where um, she's chewed up one pair of my shoes. Uh, she's uh, gotten a little bit of trouble, but uh, she's also a really loving little dog. And I, I really like Cora. She and I are becoming friends. It's kind of been an up and down road, but we're getting there. I tell you that story because the other day she did something. She jumped up on the only couch or only piece of furniture she's allowed to jump on beside me, and I didn't realize it, but I had let the remote control fall down between the cushions. So when Cora jumped on the couch cushion, her weight made the volume button go to 100. (laughs) So it sounded like the apocalypse was happening in my living room. And I was looking for the remote, and I kind of guessed at what might have happened, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I grabbed an old remote. Now, I don't know if you have this around your house. It's the remote that we used to have to our old TV. And it doesn't work on my TV except for two things. It will turn it on and off, and it will adjust the volume. So I keep it around, and I've used it for that because I don't know about your house, but at my house, remotes go missing sometimes. At any rate, uh, something happened I didn't like. I pushed down on the on-off button, and nothing had occurred. Now, At first, I thought that the batteries had just gone dead. I've subsequently figured out that probably the batteries had been raided by a child of mine who had a video game and just needed the batteries. Nonetheless, there's nothing worse than a remote that won't do its job, because what that means, and I know you're going to sympathize with me here, I had to get off the couch, (laughs) and I had to go turn off the TV. I know, I knew you'd be sympathetic. Now, I tell you that story because when we have a A loss of power, it's frustrating. And that can happen to us in a lot of ways. It doesn't just happen with our things, although it is frustrating when your phone loses power or you lose power in your car battery. Those are frustrating times. There's another kind of power loss that happens, and it happens sometimes in our lives. We just start to feel run down, drained, uh, worn out, and we feel like we could use an infusion, if you would, of power, of strength. We feel a kind of weakness that we don't like to feel. So what do we do when that happens, when we get in that place? Well, I want to challenge you with an idea today as we're in our series on renewing. I want to encourage you that there is a way to renew our strength, to renew our source of power, and it comes through renewing our purpose. I want you to understand this, discovering and living out our purpose Our God-given purpose is empowering. The Bible speaks about purpose over and over and over. And I want to share just quickly a few passages in quick succession that just make this point about how important purpose is across the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28. It's a verse most of you know. And we know that In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God has a purpose for people's lives. In the Old Testament, thousands of years before Paul wrote those words, the wise writer of Proverbs had said in Proverbs 28.5, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight draws them out. What was he saying? It's worth the time and the energy to figure out 
what your purpose is, what your God-given purpose in life is at any given moment. Another passage that we like from the Old Testament is a, a passage of great hope about God's plans and God's purposes. Ironically, it was given at a time that the people were facing a punishment, but it was a word of hope after the punishment had ended. So Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 14, God's word, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God has plans for us. He always has a plan for his people, and he has plans for us as individuals. Let's return back to a couple other passages of Scripture. One that I like is a sermon the Apostle Paul preached in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter. It's basically a re-preaching of the same sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost. He draws on the same illustrations, one of which was David's life. And he says, now when David had served God's purpose... In his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his ancestors. Paul is saying, as Peter said, there are purposes for each person's life, and David, as the king, had served his purpose. Paul writes about purpose a lot. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has a plan for each person and a purpose for each person. Now Paul wrote about this a lot and perhaps never more eloquently than when he writes these words in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. And if you're going to jot down a scripture today, jot this one down, because it's a really important passage. Paul, speaking to the people of Ephesus, says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for each person's life, and I love the word that shows up here. Uh, it's that word that we see in the English, handiwork. But it comes from a Greek word, poeme, which is the word we use for our form poem. Picture this, you are God's poem, you are God's story, and God is telling a story through you. Your life has a purpose. It has things that he wants to accomplish. He wants to write an amazing story through you. Now, that might excite you. It might scare you because we can look through the Old Testament, and we can actually read the stories of how God was writing through people's lives, and sometimes those stories were terrifying. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fire and furnace, terrifying story. Would not want to live that story if I could avoid it, right? But they did it. God was writing a story through them. That was his purpose for them. I hope that's not his purpose for any of us. But that was his purpose for them. God is writing a story. 
And Paul, who wrote so many of those things we just read, who wrote that letter to the Ephesians, he was uniquely positioned to talk about this. Because he could look at his own life and see how God had definitely changed his story and his trajectory. He could see how God accomplished his purposes through him. So today, as we continue on our study through this sermon series on Renew, I really want us to think about what it means to renew our strength and our purpose. But as we do that, that follows on something and builds on something we said last week. So last week we talked about renewing our spirit. Remember that? We talked about being right with God and getting in a right place with him. And we said oftentimes this path begins with a kind of repentance. We'll see that demonstrated again today. A kind of repentance that says, I, I, I got to get right with you, Lord. I'm sorry for what I've done. And then an acceptance of God's grace, and that how that ministers to us and it changes us. Now, today in this passage, I want us to look at the life of Paul before he became the great Paul. I want to go back to when he was Saul. If you have your Bibles, follow along or on your phones or on the screen to Acts chapter 9 as we spend the bulk of our remaining time looking at the life of Saul and his conversion. This is one of those things that's pretty familiar to most of us, but it's an important story. And it's a story that helps us right out of the gate to understand something. We can think we know our purpose. We can think we understand the plan only to find out we were misguided, misdirected. We had invested our energies in the wrong thing. That's a humbling moment when such a realization comes to us. But it can also be a helpful moment. Now for Saul, don't miss this, he is zealous for God, or at least he thinks he is. He believes everything that he is doing at the beginning of the story is God's will. He believes he's living out God's purpose. I want you to understand, he has a misplaced purpose. If it happened to Saul... It could happen to any of us. And we also might have some misplaced purposes. Here's how it starts off. It says, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He even went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who believed to the way, that is, those who called themselves Christ followers, Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. That's the way. People who believe that were following or part, called a part of the way at times. Whether men or women, Saul wanted to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, he was zealous for this. He believed that Christianity or Christ following was an aberration. It was a false teaching, he believed. That it was leading people away from Judaism and away from, from a true relationship with God. I mean, don't miss this, Saul knew the Old Testament scriptures well, but he had not accepted the notion that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So he struggled with this idea about Jesus, and he actually believed that killing Stephen and other Christians and imprisoning men and women, he believed it was the right thing to do. He was wrong, but he believed it with his whole heart. His priorities and his purpose were grotesquely misplaced. But God has a way 
of interacting with his creation. And God sometimes provides divine interruptions. And God places a very powerful divine interruption in the path of Saul. Now, I talked about dangerous sermons a few weeks ago, and and I'm going to caution you if you pray this prayer, look out. But I want want you to think about, are you brave enough to pray the prayer, Lord, I give you permission to disrupt my life if you need to get my attention? Because he'll do it. He did it to Saul. Now, I don't even think Saul asked for it. I mean, he asked for it in a different way. I don't think he said, Lord, disrupt my life. God's going to disrupt his life. Let's read what it says in verse 3. Now, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But Saul said, who are you, Lord? There are two things that I want you to gather. The first is something Jesus said. Jesus had already gone to the cross, had risen from the dead, and had ascended to heaven when this story happens. So why would Jesus say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't even reside on the earth anymore. Well, remember what Jesus had said in Matthew 25 and other places, and as much as you do it to the least of these, you're doing it unto me. When you're out there persecuting these people, you're hurting me. Now, that should sober us up if we ever think it's okay for us to talk bad about our Christian brothers and sisters, because when you do that, you're not just insulting them, since they're a part of the body of Christ. You're insulting Jesus in the same way that Saul was insulting and persecuting Jesus. Be careful how we treat each other. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And here's the epitome of the lostness of Saul. Saul's response when he hears the voice of Jesus is to ask the question, who are you? You see, Saul thinks he knows who Jesus is, but he has no clue who Jesus really is. And in his presence doesn't recognize his voice, doesn't recognize who he is. Why did Jesus say, my sheep know my voice, they know who I am. But Saul did not recognize who Jesus was. And so he says, who are you? Jesus responds, I am Jesus, Saul, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now I believe that Saul He was a P's and Q's kind of guy. He liked to dot the I's and cross his T's. He was was into following the letter of the law. He was very zealous about doing things the exactly right way and the exact right order. Like, I mean, he he would probably have been one of the, we might call him OCD, right? I mean, that was kind of his personality. And, And he liked to be in control. Some of you here can relate to that. You like to be in control. You like to know that everything is exactly where you put it, and it'll still be there when you go back, right? And if someone goes in and they move a pin on your desk, you know that it's been moved, right? There, there's some of you are like that. You, you just That's how you are. You function. I think that's a lot how Saul was. He liked to be in control. He liked to have a plan. We get this in part from the fact that he went to the, see, to make sure everything was done exactly right. He didn't want to just go 
taking out Christians. He wanted authority to do it. He went and made sure he had all the paperwork in order to make sure he could do what he was doing. He made sure he had everything exactly how he wanted it to be. But when Jesus entered his picture, the very first thing that Jesus does is disorient him completely. And all of a sudden, the man who liked to be in control finds that he has almost no control over his world and his life. Listen to what Jesus tells him. Listen to how vague this is. This would drive some of you crazy. If I said, hey, we're going to go on a trip, you said, where are we going? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you later where we're going to go. What are we going to do? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what we're going to do. It'd make you insane. You'd lose your mind. I ain't, there's no way I'm going with you. There's no way. Well, here's Saul. And Jesus doesn't give him any specifics. Not yet. He just tells him, right? Here's what's going to happen. He said, uh, you're going to go into the city, and you're going to be told what to do. And that's all you need to know right now. So even though Saul doesn't know who Jesus is, he has to trust him. And his journey to renewed purpose begins with trust. And that's the journey that we all go through. Do I trust that God's plan is better than my own? The men who were traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Talk about being disoriented. The burning image before him, the last thing that he saw as a sighted man was Jesus, who he had been persecuting. And now he could see nothing at all. I have to imagine that Saul, who was a person who was likely headed to become the next high priest, he was a man of political savvy, he was about to have a high position in Jerusalem. And I have to imagine that in this moment, stricken blind, he has to think, it's ruined. I'm ruined. Remember in his day, they didn't have Braille. They didn't have all the things that we have that might help a person who's blind today. None of that existed, not one bit. The blind were really relegated to just one job, begging. That's all they could do. I'll tell you what, I think Saul is relegated to becoming a beggar in this moment. Only he's not begging people for money or food. He is begging God. Don't give up on me. Help me. He's begging. Sometimes God will bring a person who is truly misguided to a place of brokenness, confusion, and begging. Not because God is cruel and vindictive. God's not being cruel to Saul here. In fact, he's probably administering a kind of justice for what's happened. But he wants something better. And sometimes to get to what's better, we have to acknowledge that what we were doing before just isn't good enough, or it might have been downright wrong. And man, I don't know about you, but I, that's a word I hate to say. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm getting better at it because I realize I'm wrong a lot, but still not easy to say. And that's where Saul is. He could see nothing. 
And here he is, the broken leader who has to be led by the hand into the town of Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. While Saul suffers for three days, he comes to a place of brokenness and repentance that makes him usable to God. God steps into his world on purpose for a purpose to renew Paul's purpose, to give him a new mission. I think that God wants to do the same for us, to step into our world to renew our purpose. Now, contrast the story of Paul, who didn't even know who Jesus was, with the next character in our story. This guy is remarkable because when he hears that God wants him to do something, he does it, even though it's a scary thing he gets asked to do. And sometimes fulfilling God's purpose, as we've already referenced, can be scary. In the town of Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias, who was waiting on the name of the Lord, so to speak, hears the voice and immediately says, Yes, Lord, the sheep who knew its shepherd's voice. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told Ananias, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So he wasn't just weeping and crying. We know that in those three days he was earnestly talking to God. And in a vision, Jesus says, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And unlike Saul, who had not been following the leading of Jesus, the next verse says that Ananias went. And this had to be truly terrifying. <laughs> I mean, he clearly knows what Saul is capable of. Talk about asking the question, I mean, he did it kind of, are you sure this is your plan for my life, God? <laughs> is this really your plan for me? We don't know if he was married, if he had kids or not, but understand that when he goes on this journey, there's at least a part of his mind that wonders, will I ever see my friends and family again? Am I headed to prison? Or worse yet, am I headed to death? He just can't know what's going to happen. And all the Lord's told him, the Lord never said, hey, you won't get killed. That, that wasn't what said there. He said, you're going to go do this thing. Now you're going to restore his sight. But God didn't tell him what else would happen in the story. Ananias only knew the next thing he was supposed to do. And so he went. 
He went to the house and he entered it, and then he placed his hands on Saul. And the most beautiful thing, he said, Brother Saul. And I love that because in Ananias' mind, in the short time from when the Lord said go until he went, Ananias has resolved that if God needs Saul, and he's God's chosen, then he's a brother in Christ. And he's not going to oppose him. So the very first word that he speaks to the broken man Saul is brother. What do you think that did to Saul in his mind about what Christians were like? The very first thing that happened is the Christian comes to him and puts his hands on him, and because of a Christian who he'd been killing, he gets his sight back. That was a pretty great moment. And he's still disoriented. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The next thing he hears is a man say, you're my brother in Christ. You're my brother. It's a big deal. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now the end of this story takes us right back to where we began. If you remember, I said at the very beginning of this, if we want to renew our, our power for living, we have to renew our purpose. So let's see how that plays out for Saul. He has come to the moment where he has been, he has been renewed in his purpose. We heard that he gained strength from food, but that is a pale of what is going to happen and the strength that he'll soon regain. It says that Saul then spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, the exact opposite message he'd been preaching before. All those who heard him were astonished. They said, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. <laughs> renewed purpose is also renewed strength and power. Now maybe you've felt a little run down lately. Your batteries are drained out. Friends, there is an important moment before us. If you want to renew your strength, renew your purpose. And say to the Lord, Lord, what is your will for my life today? Renewed purpose led to renewed power. I want you to know that God uses many different agents to help us discover a renewed purpose for our lives. Sometimes God uses people to help get us on track. He used Ananias to help Saul get back on track. Sometimes he uses circumstances to get us where he wants us. Sometimes he uses hardship. Sometimes he uses the Bible and we see things in a new way. Sometimes he uses opportunity. The point is we have to keep our eyes and our ears and our spiritual eyes and ears open to find our purpose, the thing for which God has made us. And I want you to know there are three things at the end here that are very important when it comes to asking the question, is this God's will for my life or not? Here's the first one. God will never contradict himself. So when you're thinking about, is God leading me to do something, 
the first thing to ask yourself is, is the thing that God is asking me to do consistent with what it says in the Bible? God's not going to contradict what he says in the Bible. So does it sound like something God would ask you to do, right? It probably isn't God if you have a sense that says, hey, I'm supposed to go rob an armored car, right? You're listening to some spirit, but it's not the spirit of God, all right? So you got to hear God's voice. He's not going to ask you to do something that's the exact opposite of his word. Second, a renewed purpose for our lives is almost always something that we can't do entirely on our own. So one of the questions is, does doing this thing require me to rely on the strength of God? It's important. If it's a God-given purpose, oftentimes you won't be able to accomplish it solely on your own. You'll need his help and quite often the help of others. In Paul's case, right, immediately he received the power of the Holy Spirit to help him, and he had to rely on God for the rest of his life. And we see it over and over and over, how he lets God direct his path. Third, renewed purposes are often confirmed through obedience. Rarely does God tell you the entire picture from the beginning. <laughs> no, you usually have to take the next step in faith, and God shows you what to do there, and then the next step in faith. And quite often, it's not until the whole story has come to its end that we're able to really see how all the pieces fit together. And sometimes, I believe we won't know how the pieces fit until we get to eternity with God. It won't all make sense until then. Why is it that way? Because God wants us to trust him. It's God's story in our lives, not our story. It's God's story in us. What did it say, poeme? We are God's poem. He wants to write a story in us. And I think God wants to write an amazing story in your life. The question before us is a question that's been faced by many believers through the centuries. It's the question, will I embrace God's purpose for my life, or will I be more interested in just doing what I want? One of the famous accountings of this is in the Old Testament when the man Joshua, who was the leader of Israel, addresses the people near the end of his time as their leader. And he says, you all have to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and his purposes. I don't know. I hope for the rest of my days that I will serve the Lord's purposes in my life. And if I'm not serving them the right way, I hope I have the courage and the faith to say, Lord, disrupt my plans if they're not the plans that you have for me. So where are you today? I want you to renew your strength like that of an eagle. I want you to soar. And that will happen most clearly when you are inside of God's will. So I want you to consider today the purpose of your life. And I want you to think about this. Am I fulfilling the purposes of God, the things that are best? Or am I, sec am I settling for something less than God's best for my life? And if you're not inside God's will and this purpose, then let this be a time of rededication if you're already a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower, 
I've got to tell you something. You'll never fully know your purpose without Jesus in your life. Saul couldn't do it, and you can't do it, because Jesus changes everything. I hope the Lord doesn't have to strike you with blindness and fear and confusion to get your attention. I hope you'll have the courage, the boldness, and the faith to step forward and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I hope you'll be faithful in Christian baptism. Whatever decision you have to make, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? Thank you.